Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. decreases selfishness, decreases greed, increases a focus on good, which increases levels of trust, which all together constitutes the necessary elements for societal flourishing. That was Ann Voskamp to introduce us to this week's topic on Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Gabe will be joining us shortly. This past weekend was Thanksgiving weekend, and for many families, it meant sitting down to a meal and hopefully sharing what they're thankful for, but then going out and spending a lot of money in stores or online for Black Friday deals. Some estimates point to Americans spending over $56 billion from Thursday night through Cyber Monday. And yet, for all we spend, we continue as a nation to be highly discontented, even depressed and anxious. Are we missing something? Today, we feature two talks. First up, let me introduce you to Jeff Schinnebarger. Jeff is a social entrepreneur. He spent three years as the brand manager for Catalyst Conferences. He's also the author of a book called More or Less, and currently actively restoring his neighborhood, the East Atlanta Village, with his wife. This talk comes from a Q Commons event in Atlanta about four years ago. Let's listen in as he talks about the endless cycle of want. So this is Clarence. Clarence is a, uh, a friend of mine. He was the first person to welcome me to my neighborhood in East Atlanta Village. And um, he, a lot of people would be welcomed by cookies and things like that. But I got Clarence, and Clarence rang our doorbell, and he offered himself to me in a way of wanting to do work. He said, hi, my name is Clarence, and I do work for people in the neighborhood and let me know if there's something I could do. The difference between Clarence and myself, he was my neighbor, we lived in the same neighborhood, I have a home and he does not have a home. It was the first time I had to wrestle with how to love my neighbor when my neighbor has no home. I remember sitting at our kitchen table, my wife and I were playing a game of Settlers of Catan. Anyone else? Thank you. And uh, and it was pouring down rain outside and, and I got a, a, another ring of the doorbell, and it was Clarence. I remember going to the front door, and he was in a hoodie and a jacket over top of his hoodie, and he had his hoodie pulled so tightly together, you could only see this part of his nose, you know? And he was drenched, because it was pouring so hard. And I, I remember standing in the doorway that day, and that night, and, and thinking the contrast that we had in our lives. I had a home. I had this abundance in my life. And Clarence had the clothes on his back. And I said to Clarence that day, I said, what can I do for you tonight? And he said, Jeff, I was wondering if I could, if I could get some, some dry clothes, some dry shoes, and a gift card to McDonald's. He had learned by started this organization called Gift Card Giver that we give gift cards to people that really need it. And so he understood I always had gift cards. So he said, can I get a $10 gift card to McDonald's so I could get a meal and wait out the storm? And I remember w- turning around and walking to the back of my house and walking towards our closet and realizing my wife had a closet and I have a closet. We have two closets. Opening up the door 
looking into my, into my drawers, seeing I had about 20 pairs of socks. I had about seven pairs of shoes. I had about 10 jackets. I had endless clothes that day. I have more than enough. And I got those things for Clarence, and I gave it to him. And just two years ago, I got a call, and Clarence had been hit by a car. And he died in our neighborhood. He was pushing a lawnmower looking for work in our neighborhood. And Clarence made me see the world differently. Because of him, I operate in a different way today. He made me realize I have more than enough. I have more than enough clothes. I have more than enough food. I have more than enough friends on Facebook. I have more than enough. Rockefeller was asked one time, what is enough? And he said very clearly, a little bit more. And I think you wish you had a better solution than that, a better answer. But we're caught in this cycle of more. We get more, we want more, we spend more. We get more, we want more, we spend more. How many of you have an iPhone? All of us, right? And I think this cycle explains it perfectly. You wanted an iPhone. You got the iPhone. You get the iPhone and you want some more music, so you start downloading music. Then you want some more apps. Then you want a cloud space because you bought so many apps and so much music and so many movies. And then you want a case for that iPhone to keep it safe. And then you want to talk more so you get a, a cord for your car. And then, and then Apple does something really amazing. They hold another press conference. <laughs> and they release the next iPhone, and you want the iPhone, and you get the iPhone. And the cycle continues and continues and continues. And I'm asking the question, what is enough? You see, anything more than enough is excess. Anything less than enough is suffering. The distance between enough and excess are the things that we want. And the distance between suffering and enough are the things that we need. This, that line is a line of survival. Have you drawn a line of enough? You see, every time I hang out with people that have more than me, I tend to want more. Every time I hang out with someone that has less than I do, I tend to simplify my life. Who are you spending time with? Enough for you is not enough for me. Turn to the person next to you and answer the question, what is enough sleep? You chuckle. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't answer. Yes, thank you. Six hours, seven hours, eight hours. Anyone over eight do not have kids, right? I realized this very quickly when I was engaged to my wife, Andre. We were really excited about one date on the calendar, and it wasn't the wedding day. It was the day that we got to go to Target to register for the wedding. And we went in, and we registered, and we got the two guns that we get in our hands, and we were so excited that day. We went for the first item. We had decided we were going to get ten towels, because you can never have enough towels, apparently. And so we knew exactly what we were getting. We were getting green towels. We went to the aisle. We went for the towels. And I had my gun, and she had hers. And we both shot our towels. And I shot the most expensive, and she shot the least expensive. We looked at each other. We said, what are you doing? And I said, this is the first and maybe only day of my life I don't have to worry about a budget. And Andre said, yeah, but all of our friends are going to think we're greedy. What was enough for me was not enough for her. We still have those cheaper towels today. Right? And we went on to the next thing. It was the, the, the mixer. I went for the most expensive KitchenAid mixer with multiple arms and accessories. 
And she went for the $17.99 hand mixer. She apparently doesn't make chocolate chip cookies, right? And I remember in that day we started talking and we started arguing and I had a gun and she had a gun and we started arguing and arguing and arguing. Next thing you know, the guns were pointed at each other's heads. We did not see the world the same way and she started crying and I did what any man would do in that moment. I got her out of Target as quick as I possibly could. And I remember sitting in the car that day and trying to figure out what happened. You see, she was the daughter of a missionary. She didn't know where the funding was going to come the next month. So they would always buy the cheapest thing and her dad could fix anything. And I was the son of a pastor, a guy that could fix nothing. So we would buy the most expensive with the longest warranty. And for the last 10 years, we've been trying to figure out how to make purchases together ever since, right? Enough for you is not enough for me. You know, the easiest thing is to draw a line for someone else, isn't it? The hardest thing is to determine what is enough for your own life. So how do we begin? Where do we start? When we choose to live with less, we gain the opportunity to give more. I hope that we can live lives of great generosity, but that means we have to draw a line of enough. I have a friend named Ashley. She did a social experiment to see how many days she could go without wearing the same thing twice. Think about that for a minute. I bet it's longer than what you would think that you could do. She thought she could last three months. She's a very socially conscious person, was even involved in an organization called Mission Year. She lasted 156 days. She had shirts and jackets and seasonal clothes and all these things in her drawers, she realized. My wife and I wanted to see how long we could go without going grocery shopping. We lasted 147 meals eating out of our pantry. My challenge to you today is to think about the question, what do you have in excess? And what could you do with that excess to address a need in your community? Choose to draw a line of enough. Out of our excess, we can address issues of need and suffering. It's not just money. It's everyday things that are in our our house, in our garage. We can do something that's never been done. Just like that story of our gift cards. We collect unused gift cards and give them to people in need. You have something in excess. It might be time. It might be clothes. It might be food. It might be something I've never thought of before. But try for a period of time to do a social experiment and challenge what you believe is enough in this world. Thank you. That again was Jeff Schinnebarger, and if you'd like to watch this or other talks, we have a very full library of them on a variety of topics. To help you think well and advance good, just visit qideas.org. Joining us now is Gabe Lyons, the head of Q Ideas. And Gabe, as we just heard from Jeff Schinnebarger about the importance of being content, it can be elusive. Oftentimes, there's a missing element of gratitude. Tell us about this as you introduce our next talk. I remember it being said once that gratitude is one of the least expressed virtues. And I know if we think about it in each of our own lives, that can probably be true. The busier we get, the more that we have, the more time that we spend doing multiple activities or or even more friends and relationships that enter our lives. Sometimes we get so busy moving from one thing to the next that we don't often take time to just stop, reflect, and, and really show gratefulness and be grateful. 
I know for our children, sometimes when we see that they're starting to act a little like they're entitled or you start to see some things come out of them where they're just expecting some things to work out or to be there for them that aren't. Rebecca and I's first rule is go get out your grateful journal, sit down and start making a gratitude list. It's an instant game changer in terms of everybody's attitude, everybody getting back into the right perspective, really recognizing what's true, what's happening right now in the world that they're living in, and kind of getting them outside of that to just appreciate the big world around them and all the ways in which God's blessing their lives. So as you listen to this nine-minute talk by Ann Voskamp, you're going to be listening to somebody who literally wrote the book on gratitude. Her book sold over a million copies where she literally wrote the book called 1,000 Gifts, A Dare to Live Fully Right Where You Are. And and this bestseller on the New York Times list was on the list for over 60 weeks because it resonated with the human heart and this need to show gratitude, to understand the nature of gratitude and why it's just critical in our lives. So as you head into this week, or maybe you're listening to this later and it's the Christmas season, or maybe it's the new year, just take a moment to make your own grateful list. Let's listen in to Ann Voskamp. guy down at your corner store. He heard the Harvard academics in their white lab coats. Proved that the guy in probation and the kid cutting herself and the woman who just wants to throw in the towel and everybody else facing their own hard battles. If they wrote down just three things a day they were grateful for, they were less depressed, less suicidal, less apathetic than those who didn't practice lifestyle gratitude. That's what the guy thought. Well, take it or leave it. We all get to decide, doxology or dark. So it happened all around town, these guys picking up their pen and writing down three gifts a day. Because the research indicated that recording those blessings was cognitive training, a way of reorganizing your brain to focus on goodness, that it increases an individual's positive focus by 25%. What community, what family, what city doesn't need to increase their positive focus by 25% for free? So the women in the carpool line, they started counting gifts while they waited. And they could testify exactly what the scientific research proves. Those who practice lifestyle gratitude, who pick up a pen and just write down three things they're grateful for each day, have higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, optimism, attentiveness, energy. We're more motivated, likable, other-oriented, forgiving, generous, helpful, more likely to volunteer, and more likely to give back. So the whole town found out. Giving thanks And giving back our Siamese twins, they move as one. Hundreds of experiments across countless labs posit one deafening conclusion. Gratitude interventions result in radical, transformative improvements to personal and societal well-being. So that's what the community said. Take it or leave it. We all get to decide doxology or dark. And Chesterton said, thanks is the highest form of thought. To think is to thank. And if we aren't the people known for thanking God, maybe we aren't thinking enough of God. 
So it started a bit like a revolution around town. People in pews and in checkout queues all looking for the good to be grateful for. And they witnessed it firsthand. Gratitude decreases selfishness, decreases greed, increases a focus on good, which increases levels of trust, which all together constitutes the necessary elements for societal flourishing. That was their epiphany. Gratitude is what lies at the very heart of ethical societal ethics. Instead of making the misstep of relegating gratitude to the realm of domesticity or feminine piety or Pollyannism, they experience the transformation. Any deep healing in community will always be associated with deep gratitude. Now, the strange thing is, in spite of the magnitude of the benefits of gratitude, the White Coat Lab folks found that gratitude often makes men feel anxious because of their sense of indebtedness and obligation and self-sufficiency. But the men who did count three gifts a day, in fact, experienced a greater sense of well-being from the gratitude interventions than women. Though men may not initially value gratitude, Like women, they actually have more to gain from gratitude than women. That's what the guys around town realized. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God. That's exactly what the whole community awakened to. Just like when Jehoshaphat sent that choir out in front of the army singing, give thanks to the Lord, and gratitude sent the dark horde fleeing, the determining factor to defeating the dark is not a strategy of reactivity or hostility or negativity, but a strategy of doxology. So that guy in the hard marriage and the woman with the harder kid, that's what they did every single time they faced the dark. They closed their eyes and saw themselves standing in a dark hole with a shovel. And no matter how hard you try to shovel out the dark, more darkness sweeps in. Because this is always the thing. You cannot force out the darkness. What you can do is reflect the light, amplify the light, magnify the light, so more light drives out the darkness. To pay the dark most of our attention is to mostly praise the devil. To focus on the dark makes the dark seem stronger than the light. Which is precisely why now is the time for a radical rising of gratitude, of light amplifiers. Gratitude amplifies goodness so that you can hear the grace of God. Gratitude amplifies the light of God so you can see the face of God in the midst of the dark. There was this woman who counted three gifts a day, who amplified the light, and she held up a photo of her baby for me to see. Because she canceled her appointment for an abortion. Because she realized even the unexpected can be counted as a gift. There was a man who held up the point of his pen and whispered to me how he'd planned on plunging the point of a gun to the temple and ending it all. But the point of that pen counting gifts had amplified all this light that he hadn't seen before, and he was walking toward that light. And there are these one million people who have dared to live lifestyle gratitude, to amplify the goodness of his redemptive light, and they testify to change souls and cities. If you're grateful, you're not fearful. And if you're not fearful, you're not violent, you're peaceful. If you're grateful, you act out of the truth of abundance and not the myth of scarcity And you become a reign of generosity that we all desperately need. Those one million people who kept thanks on their lips for their colleagues and their kids and their creator. 
They testified that gratitude stopped vicious cycles of dysfunction and created these virtuous cycles. Gratefulness amplifies goodness, which enhances wellness, which magnifies generousness and multiplies more gratefulness. The universal pattern throughout scripture and the studies and their own experience is this powerful paradox. There has to be a revolution of authentic gratitude for there to be an authentic resolution of issues. They all thought when you are finally joyful, then you can finally be grateful. But the scripture and studies and their own gratitude interventions proved otherwise. Only when you finally give thanks will you finally get to be joyful. Being joyful isn't what makes you grateful. Being grateful is what makes you joyful. Gratitude in our circumstances is essential to our wholeness as any change in our circumstances. And yeah, no, you may be thinking the dark you're facing in your community, your family, your city, your life is too dark. But Jesus, when he was staring right into the very face of evil, what does he do? Out of a universe of supernatural options, what does Jesus decide? And on the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread lifted it, and gave thanks. If Jesus can give thanks in that, you can give thanks in anything. If Jesus chooses gratitude as elemental in destroying evil, do you have a better weapon against the dark? If out of a cosmos of choices, Jesus chose to give thanks in the face of evil, then maybe our giving thanks is how we advance the good. Gloria Steinem She said it once, gratitude never radicalized anybody. But you ask the one million people who dared to count 1,000 gifts of their own, and that's what they all say. Gratitude never fails to radicalize the radically grateful. When you are radically grateful for what you have, you will go to radical lengths to share it. When you are radically grateful for being blessed, you are radically generous to the oppressed. You can't be truly grateful and not be moved. Gratitude starts movements. Real gratitude doesn't make you apathetic. It makes you a real activist. Radical gratitude is the attitude of the revolutionaries. So the world turns and life surges up, one grace given after another. The last of the light catching right now in a maple tree down in Central Park. Some elderly woman thanking a man right now as he helps her off a bus in L.A. A cop keeping his beat on the back streets of a quiet town in Kansas. A dying child in a hospital right now in Georgia being tended to by a nurse with aching feet. And your heart beating a 100,000 times a day and 190,000 stars being birthed over us every single minute. And we all know we need someone to thank. And the people known by gratitude are the ones who can make God known. The people known by gratitude make their life about the language of gratitude. That language of friendship with man and of friendship with God. Because the one word that will come unplanned to your lips at your very end is the one word worth planning to live your one and very beautiful life by. Thanks. Thank you.
Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Ann Voskamp as she just shared with us so much on this topic of gratitude. One thing that just I appreciated about this, especially relates to our cultural moment, is this idea that any deep healing in any community will always be associated with deep gratitude. Gabe, we just have a few moments left on this week's Q Ideas. Would you take us back a couple of weeks as we at Q ask people to engage locally with the concept of Q dinners? Give us a recap. We had over a 1,000 people like you come in and say, we want to do this with you. And, and all in one week, people hosted these dinners in their homes. They welcomed people in from their neighborhood, from their workplaces, friends maybe that were at their church. And, and they said, let's have an intentional dinner together. Let's break bread together. Let's have real conversations together. Let's heal our divided nation. But let's do it one meal at a time, one conversation at a time. And I think just that spirit of eating, of being at the table, of really being grateful for relationships, for people who are in your life, really moves conversation to a different level. And if you didn't participate in Q Dinners, you can learn more about those at QDinners.com. In the new year, we'll actually be having another week where we're going to be inviting so many of our listeners like you to be proactive with having real conversations about topics that are really important and really matter, but many times don't have space in our current society to be aired, to be discussed, to be honestly debated and, and talked about with those you care about and those you love. And so we're going to just continue to tee that up and make that possible and and have so many of you responding to that, which has just been so exciting. In fact, national news started to cover the story. And, and that's the sort of thing we believe at Q is so fun to watch because it really gives the idea of the Christian faith motivating these types of real conversations, this type of hospitality, this, to me, is the essence of what our faith ought to be doing in our society. And so when the world starts to pay attention and says, wait, the Christians are doing something a little different here. They're actually opening their doors. They're having some of these substantive conversations. There's a longing in people's hearts to do that very thing. And when we can take the lead, when we can welcome anybody into these kinds of conversations, I think it really matters to them. I think it's inspiring to them. I think it's encouraging to them. And I think in a world where that's happening less and less, it's going to be more important for us to lead and to do this more and more. Well, thank you for listening in to this edition of the Q Podcast. As always, if you want to watch this talk online, go to qideas.org and you can watch this. And then I highly recommend, invite everybody to start making their own grateful list and to just stop and say, hey, as Christians, you know what? Let's stop. Let's stop consuming and let's take a moment to just be grateful for what God's given us and all the people around us and all the experiences and all the good things that we have in our life. And that sort of perspective change, I think, will represent a great countercultural posture in a world that's looking for that kind of change. Hope you have a wonderful week and a wonderful holiday season ahead. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.